So as we speak through Proverbs, we're going through a sermon series called Navigating Life Well. And we're talking about how to navigate all arenas and all areas of life with wisdom. So we talked about many things. But of course, if we're going to talk about being wise in all areas of life, we have to talk about marriage, right? So I know what just happened. Everyone who's single or not in a marriage anymore said, man, I should have came next week. But I want to say to you guys this. A lot of people want to be married. You don't have to be married to have a fulfilled life. We know that from Jesus, right? So we don't want to put marriage in a place that you're not living a good or fulfilled or awesome life if you're not married. Because that's not true because Jesus most lived the most fulfilled and awesome life and he was never married. But for those of us who choose to get married, we've got to learn how to navigate it well. And those of us who aren't married, who don't want to get married, we've got to know what those two crazy people that got married are thinking and what they're supposed to be like, right? And if you're single and want to be married, it's a good way to think about and be praying through what you want your husband and your wife to look like and what your marriage should symbolize and point people to. So this is both for married people, it's for single people, and I hope it's beneficial to everyone here. I've been married, I'm going to be married 11 years on April 19th. Me and my wife, I cannot believe it. We looked at pictures the other day. We were living in a basement apartment. I'm telling you, I remember taking a video and we put, and that was, that was when MTV Cribs was big. And so we joked around, got the cam, and it was like, I'm talking so small, and there was like a boiler room attached to our bedroom. We were taking, I brought, I brought Natalie on the tour. And I said, this is MTV Cribs, this way, like it was deluxe, like it was luxury. Someone broke into my house and stole that tape. I hope it doesn't end up on the web. What's up with that? Four years ago, that footage was raw and real. But we're looking at these pictures. I was 25, she was 20, she was going to turn 21 the next month. And we're like, we don't even know these people. Who are these people? I'm talking about myself. I look at myself and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you dressed like that? Why do you look like that? What's going on? And I realized, wow, we've been together for almost 11 years. We've learned so much. We've been through so much. We have so much more to learn. I don't want to say our marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect. No husband is perfect. No wife is perfect. But we have the gospel that has been shaping our marriage more and more every day. When we got married, I'm going to be honest with you, we argued so much. The argument, it was ridiculous. We were figuring out the parameters and the boundaries, and we, we loved each other to death. But man, did we argue. All the time, right? We had a couple over one time, and they were like, we're like, we argued, thinking they were going to like, yeah, man, it's tough, you arguing. They were like, we've never argued once. We're like, my fault. I didn't know the Trinity was in the room. <laughs> it was my fault. And I just want to say their marriage just went in some unhealthy ways. We're going to argue sometimes. You got two people coming together to live together. You got to share a bed. You got to share a budget. You got to share a house. You got to share your vision. You got to share all these things. And you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. You've got to be sacrificial. You got to be loving. You got to serve each other because it's tough to navigate marriage well. You got two sinners fell in love with each other saying, we're going to get married and live together and try to do this thing. You have to trust in the gospel, and you have to know what your gospel, what your marriage is supposed to be pointing to, and what is your marriage supposed to be like. So your marriage should always be pointing to the gospel, to the relationship between Christ and the church. 
So let's start there because that's the big idea we want to start with. Your marriage should be pointing people to the gospel, Christ and the church. When they see your marriage, they say, wow, God's really moving in that marriage. They're not perfect, but it's filled with grace. It's filled with forgiveness. It's filled with happiness. And your marriage should be one of your great, greatest witness tools. Now, in other, when you hear people describe their marriage, sometimes it points to other things, right? My marriage is a mess. Okay, what do I think? A room's a mess. I think a, my marriage is chaos. Okay, it's pointing to chaos. I know some chaotic things in my life. So our marriage, I've heard people say, my marriage is a nightmare. When I think about a nightmare, I think about waiting up, scared, I'm put, popping on the light, it's scary in here, right? So sometimes our marriage, when we describe them, they're not pointing to better things. But what we want our marriage to point to, the ultimate thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now I'm just going to read a little of Ephesians, even though we're in Proverbs right now. It says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That's both joyful and heavy, right? That our marriage is supposed to point to that glorious gospel of Jesus. That's like, wow, awesome, my marriage will get through that, but, oh man, we're supposed to be doing that in our marriage. I'm going to tell you a story of a man. He served in two wars. He fought in World War II, and he fought in the Korean War. And he passed away. He was a veteran. He passed away when he was older. And you know the ceremony they have for veterans. They're honoring them. They're thanking them for their life. They're shooting off the rifle. People are there lined up. It's all very honorable. And they're reverencing the guy who gave his life for his country. At the very end of the ceremony, what they do is they fold that flag up perfectly, right? And they put all the bullets inside of it. And they give it to one of the, either children or a brother or a sister. They're honoring them. What does that flag do? When you look at that flag, you think of what that person gave their life for. You think that they sacrificed and they served. It's a symbol that points to something great, greater. It says something about the man, how he was willing to give everything. He was willing to give the greatest love because greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his brother. So when you see that flag, it's pointing to something greater. The son got this flag, right? And what he did was he took this flag and he got one of these beautiful wooden cases for it. You know, it was in a triangle and they put it in. He actually gave it its own table in the house. So when you walked in, that was the first thing you saw was that that symbol and what it pointed to was honored. What happened was he passed away. He passed away and one of his children got it. They got the flag. They didn't understand what that symbolized. They didn't understand what it pointed to. So one day they were moving and someone went over there. You know how they found the flag? It was out of the case. The bullets had fallen out. It wasn't folded anymore. It was among other things like books and this, you know, bureaus and those kind of things. It was dusty. And what did that say about how much they valued that man's service to the country? Either they were never taught how valuable that was, or they forgot how valuable that symbol was. It's the same with marriage. When we forget what our marriages are supposed to be symbolizing, and we forget how valuable they are, our marriages will be pointing to other things. 
So the first thing we've got to do is saying, what is our marriage supposed to be pointing to? What is our goal? What do we model ourselves after? We hear the gospel. So let's review the gospel because that never gets old, right? A holy, loving God, perfect God, more compassionate and merciful than we could ever be, creates man in his own image. Man chooses to rebel and sin against God. God, because of his love and because of his mercy and even because of his justice, <coughs> sent his perfect son, God the Son, Jesus, into this world to be born, to live a perfect life in our place. In our place. Totally sacrificial life. 33 years of total sacrificing, working as a carpenter, being a tradesman, resisting temptation, being humble, persecuted, murdered, brutalized, flogged, and ultimately crucified, an atoning death in our place. Three days later, he rises from the dead for our justification so all who believe in him might be saved, might be reconciled to him presently and eternally. In the gospel part of our everyday life, and you can keep going because it's an eternal gospel. But that's the basic foundation of the gospel. It points to sacrificial, ultimate, perfect love. That's the relationship. The husband's supposed to act like Christ, and the wife is supposed to act like the church, and they're supposed to relate to each other perfectly in that way. So let's start with the husband, okay? Because we call men to lead around here. We believe men and women are created equal in the image of God, perfectly reflect God, but we call our men to lead. So let's start with the husbands. They're supposed to act just like Christ. And let's read Ephesians 25 so you guys know I'm not making stuff up. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when we think about leaders in our culture and a sinful culture, we think about dominant people, right, that just tell everyone what to do. They bark out orders. You do what I'm doing. I'm in control. You bow down to me. That's, that's sinful leadership. I make the calls. You do what I say. I'm the leader. That's not the kind of leader we're talking about. We're talking about a leader like Christ who laid down his life and gave himself up for his bride, the church. Husbands, are you living like that? Are you the biggest servant in your house? Are you laying your life down? In giving yourself up for your bride, you have to have a servant's mindset. Number one, you have to be able to work to provide for your wife no matter what happens. A lot of dudes I meet, they say, that job's below me. I can't do that. Let me tell you, if Jesus said that about his carpentry job, there'd be trouble in paradise. If God, the Son, who is equal to God, who is eternal, who has always been, humbles himself, is born into this world, if he can be in the trades and make tables and make chairs and work hard and sweat to provide for his bride, the church, then there's no job that you can't do. I had an exhaust fan job that I got. It was a slow time at work. It was for this weatherization company. And what I had to do was put exhaust fans in people's houses who couldn't afford it. So I was thankful for that part of it. But I'll tell you, it was not glamorous, you know? I'd be preaching like this, and Monday I have a tool belt on in someone's attic, putting in an exhaust fan, like, this is going to help out, brother. I said, this is going to be, my call going to be more glamorous than this, right? It's going to be a little more glamour for me, right? Crawling around in insulation. And one thing I love, among many things about my, my wife, is our house is clean. 
I mean, I'm telling you, clean. I knew that when I married a woman, I said, she's got to be clean. Because I knew myself and stuff was going to get dropped, you know. And so I'm going into these bathrooms and people weren't taking care of their bathrooms, man. And I'm telling you, I had to go in there. And if you know me, I got a little bit of germaphobe in me. Just a little bit. Like, I'll hit that hand sanitizer once in a while, just banging out. I'm not like my wife, man. Like, she goes to the hospital. She'll be hitting one with the elbow, the other one like, yeah. You know, she'll be rolling through that place. You know, the kids just be going through. She'll be bouncing. Okay, care. Just put a hand out. It just hits it and wipe it. So I had to go into the bathrooms and do this. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm walking out of it. But I said, people ask me all the time, do you love your job? I say, no, I love my family. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean? I love my family. Who gets up? I don't care what your job is. Once in a while, you got to get up and say, I got to do this for my family. As a husband, you have to live with that same sacrificial heart. You have to treasure your wife above every other treasure. And the proverb said that. I see some guys take better care of their bikes, their cars, their homes, their brackets than they do their own wife. And let's read Proverbs right here. I just want you guys to hear this. From God's word. Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. So we see our wives as gifts from God. And God's grace coming to us. I see my wife as a gift that I need to treasure, that I need to love. Proverbs 19.4 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but prudent and a wise wife is from the Lord. We see our wives as gifts. As the greatest gift besides the gospel you got was your wife. And that's how Christ treated the church. He treasures us. He values us. He gave himself up for us. I'll give you some everyday ways you can serve and love and care for your wife. Our words are important. We spoke on that a month or so ago. You need to speak words of encouragement to your wife. Tell her how much you love her how much you appreciate her, and how thankful you are for her, for what she's doing, just putting up with you. Tell your wife how much you care for her. Words are so powerful. And that helps you care for that treasure. Show her affection. Listen, I used to listen to David Allen Boucher, 106.7, in my heyday. And I thought when I got married, I was just going to be wearing silk around the house, just being affectionate, cuddling all the time. I thought I was like real affectionate. I'm not affectionate. I'm just not. I thought I was way more affectionate than I am. I thought I'd just be hugging all the time. I have to, I love my wife to death, but I'm not as affectionate as I thought. I got a, okay, cuddle session. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now there's moments, of course, I want to cuddle with my wife. I get the okay, but she likes to like soft kisses on the, you know what I mean? I'm like, what's going on here? I got work to do. I don't know if I should have said that one. I get in trouble. I don't get in trouble for 99%, but the soft kisses always catch them, you know. But I'm just like, I, I have to intentionally say, I have to, my wife's very affectionate, and I have to say, I have to be affectionate. I have to hug more. I have to kiss more. I have to show that love. I love her. And I do love her. And I would say some other stuff, but we have kids in the room. No, that went so many wrong ways it wasn't supposed to go. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is some guys only in that arena want to be affectionate. You guys know code I'm talking right now? We're really affectionate when it comes to that arena. Then in everyday life, we don't want to show affection. That was good code, right? 
That's what I meant, because I felt like that sprayed everywhere. Everyone had a different interpretation of what I said. Be affectionate with your wife. Show her love. Pray for her. This is one of the most important things you can do for your wife, is pray for your wife. Pray for your wife. Pray that you grow in the joy of God. Pray that for her protection in her life. Pray for everything she's working through. Prayer is so important for your wife. She's your treasure. Now, for our, our wives, what does God tell, how does God tell our wives to act in, in a marriage? What, what role do they play? Um, so they play this role of they're supposed to treat their husband like the church treats Christ. So I tried to think about a few things that how the church treats Christ and because we think about how the Christ treats the church, and now we're going to talk about godly women. But let me read this proverb to you first, Proverbs 31. Now, when I read this, some people look at this and say, man, I feel like I fall so short of this perfect projected woman in Proverbs 31. When I read Scripture, I fall short every time. So this is not like a checklist where you have to be a perfect woman. This just give an idea of what we can model ourselves after what wives and women can model themselves after. And this is from the book of Proverbs 31, verse 10. It says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will, he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willing, with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hand, and she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens up her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow from her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruits of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. That's a beautiful portion of Scripture. There's so many beautiful and powerful things in there, but you see that this woman is administratively gifted. She's a craftswoman. She's a philanthropist. She's a hard worker. And her influence even goes, even though it's rooted in the, her home, it goes beyond her home. And her influence is beyond that. So let's talk about a few things of how those of us who are wives can respond godly in our marriage. The first thing, it has to start with fearing and knowing God. A woman who fears and knows God. A woman cannot rightly please and honor God unless she fears Him and she knows Him. That's an important thing. The other day my wife quoted some scripture because she grew up. Joe and Nancy raised her well with scripture. 
And I said, man, I'm thankful that I have a wife who knows Scripture and who cares about Scripture and who cares about the things of God. You know, a woman who's seeking after God and loving God. It has to start with fearing the Lord. Secondly, wives, in the same way, are called to serve their husband, just like a, a husband's called to serve um, their wives. There's some things I cannot do I need help with. I'm the worst cook on planet Earth. Like, I can't even make peanut butter and jelly right. Like, I'm just not good at cooking. I can warm stuff up real good. <laughs> I really need help, my wife cooking for me. Some of you dudes, man, I see you, and I'm like, how are they so passionate about Like, slicing onions, peppers, throwing stuff. Like, even Dave. Dave gets cooking, and I'm like, man, that's not in me, man. I don't have that. I can't, and I'm just talking about some practical things. I can't iron to save my life. Like, if you left me two hours with the shirt... I could have the heart. I could say I'm going to do this. I put that thing off, and now they'll be like, take that thing off right now. I've got to iron that thing. <laughs> Those are uh, just a few practical things that a wife can come along. How can you come along where your husband's weak and he's not gifted? And how can you serve him? Because there's areas that we're not gifted, or there's areas we need to be complimented in. How can you see those areas in your husband and come alongside and serve and love your husband? in those areas. I, I just think this week, I've been so busy working that I haven't had time to do practical things on my health. So I work construction. When I come home, the last thing I want to do is construction. Like, I have not put a light up in my house. I go to someone's house, I put up five lights. I come home, that's the same light when we bought the house. And so my wife said, enough is enough. I know you're busy. I'm going to start doing stuff around this house. I came in last week and like, I thought they were actually laying a foundation on the house. Like, they were just patching, like, two holes. I came in. I thought there was construction. Like, are we putting a foundation on this house? They had construction gear on. There were tops up. I looked. It was like a, a patch job this big. I said, what's going on in this house? But my wife said, how can I serve? How can I serve my husband? I know he doesn't have the time to do this. How can I serve him? That was a, a beautiful thing. Honor your husband. This is important because even though men and women are equal, we're wired differently. We're wired differently. Our makeup is different, and God intended it that way. One of the best ways as a wife you can honor your husband is tell him how much you appreciate him, how thankful you are for his sacrifice. Tell us how strong we are, even though if we don't look that strong, that's important. I'm telling you, man. I For some reason, I'm from Lynn. I'm a city boy at heart, and so... I still think I can take anyone. I don't care if they're 6'8", 350 pounds. I think I have a shot. I say, well, I'm quick. If I stay low, I can bounce on them, right? I still think in my mind, it's just part of being a man. I still think I take them. One day, sometimes, even now, they're watching UFC. Now, this is UFC, right? These brothers give you one kick. You're out the window. You're done, right? And she said, these dudes will take you. I said, what'd you say? You don't ever say that to a man. I just started doing push-ups in all the room. Like, one thing you can't do to a man is tell him he's weak. You got to tell him he's strong. You got to give him confidence. You got to tell him you appreciate him. Those are things I'm telling you as a man that we need to hear. When we feel belittled or we feel devalued or you challenge our manhood, it hurts us deeply because we're created to be masculine. We're created to protect and be strong. And a woman, when you are able as a wife to say, I'm so thankful, you're sacrificed, you're doing this, you're showing strength, you're showing fortitude, I'm telling you, man, that just gives us strength, and we love you better. <laughs> I 
But those things are important for a marriage. And finally, few things are more powerful than a wife, when a wife can pray for a husband. Wives, we need your prayers. Praying for your husband just like a husband praying for a wife. We, we need your prayers. Pray so much for your husband. Pray that he knows the gospel. Pray that he stands strong. Pray that he's bold. Pray that he can carry weight. All these kinds of things are, are important. So now we see we gotta, we're supposed to model our marriage after the gospel. A husband's supposed to act like Christ, sacrificially serving and leading. A wife is supposed to honor her husband and serve and love him and pray for him like the church loves Christ. Now we come together as a team on the mission of God. Isn't that how it happens with Christ in the church? We participate in his mission. He says, church, come along with me. We're going to see restoration. We're going to see salvation. We're going to work hard together. We're going to see the name of God, Father, glorified. That's what happens with the gospel. It's the same when a husband and wife come together. Your primary mission is to advance the gospel and bring glory to God. That has to be the center of your marriage. Now, other things, people make other things the center of their marriage. Your marriage will ultimately fail if, this, if it is not centered on the gospel and advancing the gospel. That has to be the center and the foundation that it's built on. When I perform um, weddings, I tell them, listen, you're entering not only a relationship between you two, but a relationship with God. You know, you guys are all in a relationship to advance for the glory of God. I encourage you, and I'm going to be honest, because I feel like sometimes pastors get up here and we, we put unachievable go goals. I'm saying I'm just like you guys. I'm a sinner. I'm learning how to glorify God in my marriage, and I need to pray more with my wife. We've been getting better with it. But for some reason, I don't know if you guys go through it, to stop and to pray. It's hard enough to stop and pray yourself, right? Like we all say, I should be praying more. should be praying more. But to really make intentional time where we say, we're going to pray together as husband and wife is crucial. Me and Natalie have been doing that more. And it's been so beneficial to us and even seeing fruit in our lives. Read with your wife. That's another thing, right? You break off that book at night. You go through one sentence. It's just like... Like, you'll stay up the whole night. You get that book out. It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Read intentionally through books that you can apply to your marriage and that will help shape that. And understand, you have to say and know together, this is our mission. We will sacrifice things in our life to advance the gospel. Like me and Natalie said, there's certain things that we have to sacrifice to advance the gospel. That's so important. Now, the way we treat each other in marriage it's huge. Because we always think these big, glamorous, everyone see acts are the ones that God is so pleased with. But he's more pleased with our everyday life and how we treat each other. What did Jesus say? Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. If you're praying, go in and shut the door. Like, this is a kingdom where we don't have to be seen by man. We don't have to be praised by man. It's for an audience of one. The most powerful God-honoring things are how we treat each other. And then we got this person we're living with every day. We've got to treat in a certain way. Now, how do you respond to them? Some of us go on the merit system. I felt like when me and Natalie first going, I was going on the merit system. Okay, if she didn't do something exactly the way I liked it, or if she hurt my feelings, or if something happened, I would start to put, it would start to pile up, right? I'll say, okay, she's really frustrating me. Okay, she's not getting talked to for 20 minutes. Okay, she's getting that look. Okay, she's going to get that, come on, what are you doing? And before you know it's the merit system, that all builds up, and then it blows. 
and then everyone's fighting. The gospel, and this is important to know the gospel, the gospel is not based on works, right? We're not in favor with God because we're being good enough. Because if that was the case, none of us would be in favor with God, right? You've got to base your love for your wife or your husband on the gospel. It's got to be all undeserved grace. This changed our marriage. Because I used to get frustrated. I used to get aggravated. Like this week has another story. I think it's cleared. I might get in trouble. But we had gone out to Harrington's. Harrington's has got some great lunches. You can get a nice deal at Harrington's. They had, and I forget that sandwich we always love, not the one you get, the Caprice wrap. They got the one of the best Caprice wraps in town. And so I got something I had to eat quick. I got like a grilled cheese with a tomato in it. It wasn't as glamorous. And I ate all of mine, and she saved half of hers. So 10.30 at night came around, and I said, I want to eat that half of the sandwich. This might seem like a little thing, but you know in marriage, little things can blow up. What's wrong? Why, why is he not living there anymore? Caprice rap. That's what happened. That's how it went down. It was a Caprice rap. <laughs> Because everything boils up. It's not really the Caprice wrap. It's all that stuff you've been adding up. And all of a sudden, the Caprice wrap comes in and it's over. So I said, now, nah, can I eat this? She said from the other room, no. I was so, I don't know. I was just like, here I am. I'm laying my life down for that woman. And she don't give me her Caprice wrap. Then I figured I got to follow this up with something, right? That's selfish. She said, I don't care. I'll meet you for lunch tomorrow. And I felt like slamming that fridge door and saying, this is crazy. And I said, the gospel. <laughs> no, but that's a little thing where I said, i got to show undeserved grace. That's just a little thing for us to laugh. But we have to do that all the time because little things pile up. We hurt each other. We've got to show undeserved grace. We're never going to be perfect with each other. We're never going to always have the right tones. We're never going to be the most considerate. We're never, both of us, I'm talking, I have so many times with Natalie, done things that were very selfish and sometimes even sinful that hurt her, right? If we're all on the merit system, our marriages won't be healthy and they won't glorify God. You've got to show undeserved grace. This is another thing. You don't say, once she gets to this point, I love her, or once he gets to this point, I love her, because that's what I used to do. Okay, she's got to be this good, and then I'll love her the way I'm supposed to love her. We love our husbands. We love our wives now because of the work of Jesus and undeserved grace. How they are, all frailties, all mistakes, all sins, that's how we love each other. Amen? That's huge stuff we have to find out. Thirdly, and we're almost to the end here, you've got to repent. Repentance is huge. If you're not apologizing to each other in marriage, your marriage is going to suffer tremendously. Be quick to repent. This is what me and Natalie say. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't go to bed mad. That's one of the worst things you can do. Because you think you can sleep it off, but we all know you don't sleep that off. You get up and it's the same frustration. Repent to each other. Say, I was absolutely wrong. Don't be prideful. If you lose it, if you're selfish, if you sin against each other, say, I'm sorry. That's one of the pivotal points of the gospel is repentance. And it's repentance based on free grace. So you have to forgive that person. Well, you made me real mad. I'll think about forgiving you. No, you have to. That's the gospel. You have to forgive each other because Christ has forgiven you. At Restoration World, let's have a high view of marriage. Marriage is the best thing that ever happened to me besides the gospel. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. You want to get sanctified? Get married. 
That's, it's the quickest way to sanctification and growing in maturity in Christ is to get married. Because you have to say, I have to change. I have to love. I have to care. I have to sacrifice. And those are huge things. But you find so much joy in marriage. And when our marriages, by God's grace, are loving, are filled with grace, are filled with repentance, are based on the gospel, we'll glorify our Father in heaven. Amen?